From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast of one of the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. Yeah, so the first one was not really sexy. It was just a coat hanger in the train, and that broke. And since it was a very old train, it was even older than I am. Um, so, um, yeah, we really had a problem to get that. And that was the first part we started with. And it was printed in SLS technology, and uh, it was a polymer part. That was Stephanie Brickweed. Stephanie is the managing director of Mobility Goes Additive and the head of additive manufacturing at Deutsche Bahn. She's overseen the adoption of 3D printing throughout a number of applications and technologies within the transportation system. We have a great conversation about the best practices in identifying use cases for AM within a large organization and the bumps that inevitably occur along the way. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Well, thank you so much for joining the show today, Stephanie. Um, let's begin where we begin with all our guests. Kind of what was the kind of inspiration? What was the start of your additive manufacturing journey? Yeah, so that was really interesting because I wanted to go <clears throat> to CBIT, the big computer fair. And I asked my students, uh, what shall I take a look at? And they said, oh, you have to take a look at additive manufacturing or 3D printing. That was now like six years ago. And I was totally impressed. And I said, this is the perfect solution um, for the company um, I work for, which is Deutsche Bahn, the German railway company. And we often have a problem with getting spare parts on demand, especially at the end of a life cycle of a train. And that would be the perfect solution. And I came back into my corporate and they said, oh, no, no, uh, the approval. I don't want to do that and leave it to the automotive guys and uh, they should be on the forefront. And I said, um, I won't accept that. No. And in the meantime, uh, we've printed more than 25,000 parts for more than 250 different use cases. And we keep trains running. We keep infrastructure running. And this is uh, really exciting. And so what are some of the... I could imagine in a, in a train, what would break down, but like, can you give me an example of kind of what was, what was that first or second use case that got you started on these thousands of thousands of parts that um, you're doing now? Yeah. So the first one was not really sexy. It was just a coat hanger in the train and mm -hmm. that broke. And since it was a very old train, it was even older than I am. Um, so um yeah, we really had a problem to get that. And that was the first part we started with. And it was printed in SLS technology and uh, it was a polymer part. Um, yeah, and that is how the whole story started. And meanwhile, we've printed also a lot of parts from different um, parts of a uh, train, like um, holders and covers and um, for instance, also signs for uh, handrail signs for blind people. Uh, we print um, safety relevant parts uh, for high speed trains, huge metal steel parts printed in DED technology. And so we have a huge variety. Anywhere. 
And so I'm always interested. I mean, the first, one of the first comments you said was like, you had this idea, you've seen the parts and the machines in action. And the first reception from or reaction from management is like way too risky um, or like too much of a, a lift to, to get going. And, and that's very common in, in the conversations we've, we've had with, with others. So kind of what was your role at the time and how did you kind of manage your way through that to kind of prove out the technology? I think that's a, that's a story that a lot of people are going through right now in terms of how are they, if they see an application, they may be like, how do you justify the investment or what's the, the right path to take? So um, the guy I spoke to and who was really like opponent to the whole uh, 3D printing story, um, he came from procurement. And so I just simply addressed someone else, which was the maintenance uh, responsible um, guy. And he was really impressed. Um, he knew about the technology because formerly he already worked for Airbus. So um, the aviation guys have a lot of experience with additive manufacturing. And um, um, with him, I started a corporate project. And um, if you ask me for any advice, is the whole 3D printing is coming from the maker scene. So the truth is just make it, just get started, put the first printed parts on the table. And we really had the experience when we went to our maintenance sites and asked our colleagues for printable parts, they all had in mind this FTM technology, just uh, um, useful for printing Star Wars figurines or anything to play with. And then we put the first metal printed part on the table. It was, uh, um, it was just a um, thing you can contain cables in. So from an AM perspective, not really interesting at all, but they could take it into their hands. And this is the huge advantage of that technology. It's, it's so haptic, yeah? you can just take a look at it. And um, that was the moment when we really had a breakthrough in that maintenance site. And then they understood, oh, if we can really print metal parts, then it must be something which has to be taken seriously. And so in those early conversations, it sounds like you, you didn't buy a bunch of printers, right? Like you didn't have your own printers in, in the office or you didn't go out and buy a $800,000 EOS M290, right? Like it was, where did you, like, how did you source some of those parts or like, what was that even process like in terms of, I mean, you've got to get a design first off, right? Like, so how was, where did that start? So this is really interesting because up to today, we don't have any industrial printers at Deutsche Bahn. Although the, we are now busy with additive manufacturing for six years. And um, we don't want to focus on one machine and they are sometimes quite expensive if you do this in an industrial approach and not printing uh, uh, prototypes because our business is printing spare parts, which have to be able to go with the trains or in the infrastructure for at least six to 60 years, something in between. And um, so we want to focus on the right use cases. And first we shook our SAP systems and tried to find out in a top-down approach what could be the perfect printable parts. And we totally failed because we don't have any information which is needed uh, to consider a part is printable or not. 
we sometimes we don't even know what um, specific material it's made from. Since we are not a producer, we are not a production company, we are just a maintainer and an operator of trains. And so uh, we have to rely on the industry, of course. But sometimes we really have to print parts because we can't get them at markets anymore. Sometimes we have to wait for spare parts up to two years. And imagine a 30 million euro expensive high-speed train has to wait for months just because one spare part is missing. And we have that situation. And then we jump in with additive manufacturing. We find the right solution. Of course, we also have to do the approval, but that is uh, when additive manufacturing comes in and that's quite successful in the meantime. And how was it kind of building a team around that idea or like that concept, right? Like as there's um, assuming multiple people involved in terms of maybe getting some of those designs, identifying parts, you have the people on the trains that are giving feedback and your supplier base. Like, can you talk a little bit about that kind of team yeah. that you built in, in that those early days? Yeah, so the team, um, before I have a, quite a long history in rail, I'm now uh, working more than 20 years for the rail industry. And I, in the past, um, I also led many huge projects from different um, parts of the company. But uh, this time we did not just ask um, our CTOs, for instance, please send us some of your um, employees. We did it the other way around. We asked at that time, who is really interested? Who really wants to help us to find those solutions? Maybe someone already has a private printer at home and has already some um, experience with the technology and how to design additive manufacturing um, parts. And um, so um, that was quite different. And we really asked the people, would you like to come in instead of asking some of the leaders to send us someone in? And um, so this is one of the big um, um, success stories at Deutsche Bahn because the whole team is so motivated on additive manufacturing. We don't have to push them. It's like um, they are yeah, it's, it's really a great thing. And uh, this is, uh, of course, also linked to the very impressive technology. You can't find that in finance or controlling if you're leading projects there. But additive manufacturing has the advantage. And when we um, tried and failed with our top-down approach, we decided that we have to do it bottom-up. So we did a roadshow. We went to our maintenance sites and uh, just in Germany, we have more than 140, and you can imagine that you have to pick the right ones. And then we went uh, to those maintenance sites and asked our colleagues, what could be the perfect solutions for, for your problems? And this is how they gave us their ideas. And um, from that, uh, we jumped into the technology scouting and we were looking for the right materials. And not every material which is needed in rail uh, does already exist in a printable way. So um, this was also the beginning uh, to found our network, which is uh, called Mobility Goes Additive because we wanted to get into an exchange with other industry people. 
and to learn faster. And um, if someone has already failed, we didn't want to fail again. Yeah? And this is uh, how we founded that network. And this is now five years ago. This, day, this year we'll celebrate our fifth anniversary in September. And we started with nine founding companies. And meanwhile, we are 135. So everyone's really interested to learn what are the right use cases uh, from the user's perspective and what might be the perfect solutions from the industry. And sometimes there's a huge gap between those two because the industry doesn't really know what the users need. The users don't really address their needs to the industry. And this is what we try to bridge in that network MGA. And when did you know that this was going to succeed? Was there kind of a tipping point that you said, okay, like we've talked to these hundred and you said 140 maintenance <laughs> depots and we've got some parts, but like, when did you like think that you had, okay, like this has got legs, like they're not going <laughs> to shut us down on this. And what, what was that? Was there a tipping point? It, it wasn't really a tipping point. It was more like, um, a success story right from the beginning because everyone was really interested and we did a lot of communication so it didn't just stick to the engineers who did perfect new designs and by the way at Deutsche Bahn we don't do any new designs because we stick to the former one and every AM expert will say oh you're uh, skipping the whole potential of additive manufacturing are you crazy and I say Maybe, but that's the perfect solution for us. And the more we change, the more problems we have with the certification process. Um, but uh, this is, um, yeah, we did the first parts and we had a huge interest also from the management. And that was, of course, also very helpful. And um, for, right from the beginning, we always assumed it's not just a technology project, it's more a change management project. You have to take people by the hand and lead them into a new world, into a new technology. And you have to um, ask for their uh, understanding and um, um, try to um, yeah, impress them. And as soon as you do that, you have a lot of followers. It's, it's really very interesting how it worked out. And um, which was really also interesting, maybe this is some kind of a tipping point, uh, when we printed our first huge metal steel part in direct energy deposition, that was uh, a wheel set bearing cap. And the wheel set bearing cap is very much located at the wheel of a train. So if something happens on a um, 350 kilometers per hour going high-speed train, you would not imagine what, uh, what could happen then. So um, we had to prove that part. And uh, with that printed part, um, it was possible to prevent a standstill of five months. And uh, when we communicated that in the corporate, everyone was absolutely convinced that that is a very interesting technology. And kind of speaking along those same lines, there's some element of qualification with this, right? You said six to 60 years, some of these parts have to last. No part, no 3D printed part has ever been tested for 60 <laughs> years, right? And, and even there's limited data on fatigue or UV, like exposure, other solvents, if someone drops a soda on, it, on this part repeatedly or repeated kind of high and low temperatures. I mean, that's not something a 
vendor is going to give you. And, and so what was the kind of proving out qualification process like to get some of these parts to a place where you felt confident that they were, would perform sufficiently for, for your needs? So, I mean, if you're talking about interior parts in a train, it's, it's not that crucial because the worst thing is that you have to replace it. But if you're talking about safety-relevant parts linked to the train or also the infrastructure, meanwhile, we've also printed a lot of infrastructure parts, mm -hmm. then, of course, you have to prove that that part uh, will stand uh, the life cycle. And so uh, we put them on the test stand and simulated 30 years of operation. And it, it, sorry, it succeeded. And um, also within our working group, which we... Um, put together with uh, Siemens and also some suppliers to rail, for instance, we are working on a general approval for printed parts of safety relevant parts. So we have to address also the authorities with our um, experiences and results. And there we picked a part from the braking system and uh, printed that, it's a metal printed part, and we put it on the test stand and two times the test stand was destroyed, but not the part. <laughs> so now we really know that printed parts um, are made in a way you can really rely on. And um, yeah, especially for those safety relevant parts, we test them a lot. And I wanna go back to, you had briefly mentioned Mobility Goes Additive and kind of that initiative. Can you just give a little bit more history in, in terms of what that is? What are you doing now? Kind of what, what's the main mission to, to drive that forward? The main mission is to help companies to accelerate the number of printed parts. So from the industry, from the users and to help them to overcome the hurdles. And usually we are working on hurdles which one company on its own cannot solve. And so this might be approval things, standardization aspects, legal aspects, as well as change management. We even published a book on that, change management and additive manufacturing. Um, we are also talking about materials. So our materials working group has six focus groups underneath, um, from high-performance polymers for flame-retardant polymers um, up to metal um, aspects like a round-robin test for aluminium. Uh, we are also talking about um, elastomers, so printed elastomers, not just for prototypes, but uh, for parts which um, can cope with dirt, oil, whatever you can think of in a daily operation. And um, so this is the aim of the network. And the interesting thing is um, we started with Mobility Goes Additive, but meanwhile, we've even initiated a medical sector in the network, which is now Medical Goes Additive. And if you have any more ideas, which start with an M, so we are very open to start that too. And this is really interesting also, what can be done in medical, which has nothing to do with rail anymore. But our... Um, Members ask us, you're so fast. Can you also help us with medical aspects? And yes, of course. And it's a huge challenge and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. And the change management side is, is so interesting. That's a lot what I do on a day-to-day -day basis is there's the technical aspect, but ultimately you have to be able to convince someone that this is a good idea. And sometimes in, at the expense of their putting themselves at a, you know, point where there's risk in their career is like, hey, if this project fails, am I going to 
not get any other projects. So there's this kind of the human element. And so one of the things I've observed as the years have progressed, I mean, like you asked me this question five years ago is like, what's the biggest barrier to change management in these organizations? Like a Deutsche Bahn is like, it's the upper management, not kind of buying into it um, and not having a way to kind of push down ideas like this. But now kind of that bottom up approach that you, you've talked about, um, certainly people coming out of school, engineers, even elementary schools, like people have 3D printers, people are aware of them. It's not like this closed door technology, it's much more widespread. And so it's a very common solution that people come up with in terms of like, if you need to make a part like 3D printing, it's not necessarily right for everyone, but like people are at least aware of it. And so in the last kind of two, three years as these kind of young folks are entering the, the workforce, there's at least more awareness that like, hey, this is the technology that you should at least explore. So have you seen something similar with, with, with the work you're doing? I totally agree, Mike. Um, I think there um, is so much development and I have to eight and 12 years old. And when I go to their schools, every school already has a 3D printer. There's not every time a teacher who can cope with that, but at least there's a 3D printer. <laughs> and um, so it has changed a lot. So we have a huge university landscape where many professors integrating additive manufacturing in their different sectors, not only rail, automotive, aviation, industry, um, digitization, whatever you can think. So, um, but we still have to help them and to enhance that. It's um, uh, what I'm convinced of. And we also have to take uh, people by the hand who are already working in the companies and to give them also a training as well as uh, the usual workforce. We also have to train them. And even before, um, if you're starting at university, this is why we initiated an international students competition on, edit, uh, on 3D printing, which will be held for the um, second time next year um, in Berlin for the first weekend in April. So who might be interested can contact me. And we are um, starting even before. So this time for the first time, and I'm really excited about that, we are going to start a students camp for teenagers. So we will offer this in the summer holidays um, from Monday to Friday, from nine to four, and they can come and try out the technology, print their first part, uh, learn what the um, solutions might be if they want to create their own ideas and um, yeah, to materialize um, their ideas um, maybe for earpod, airpod cases or whatever a teenager is thinking of. And this is uh, what we'd like to give them as an idea. And they are also invited to join us there. That's fantastic. We're actually doing a, a summer course so that we're, we're trying this, this year in Chicago for a slightly different demographic, kind of like 21 years of age and older who may not have finished high school or had kind of complete education. And I think for one of the things that we've observed in the industry is certainly general manufacturing, at least I'm talking very US specific, is that it's um, somehow perceived as kind of a dirty job, right? Like that's kind of your perception of like working in a factory, very repetitive, as well as feedback we've heard is like from people is like, why would I want to go into a field where 
a robot is going to replace me in five years. And so that's, that's something that has been a real concern for, for many folks in terms of, we all talk about kind of advanced manufacturing and like automation things like that. But I think on the back end, like it's kind of keeping some folks away from the industry. So um, I'm super excited to see how, how this goes to, to really start that conversation early with, with kids and, and getting them, them going into additive or manufacturing in general, because I think there's a lot of opportunities of, as you've described. Well, certainly. So I would also be very interested in your experiences uh, because maybe we can establish afterwards something similar um, also here in Europe and Germany. For sure. And so kind of as part of a lot of the work that you've done, I know you've been heavily involved in the women in 3D printing kind of group global group now had the the type conference and and things going on so can you speak about kind of some of the work that that you've seen in the evolution of of that group and and your collaboration with them yeah absolutely so i really admire what nora Touré, she's the founder of uh, women's 3d printing built up in the last years and um, nearly at the same time when she started with the women in 3D printing I had the same impression because I was working for rail industry and I was always one of the few women because it's a very uh, technological driven field and uh, when I um, started with additive manufacturing I had the impression wow the level the average um, number of women working for additive manufacturing is even lower than in rail how could be and this is when i started also an idea and that's a conference which is held once a year it's called women in additive manufacturing taking place this time um, in july 20 so this is always the previous day to the additive manufacturing forum in berlin and um yeah, so uh, it's nearly the same idea, bringing together women from the sector, from the additive manufacturing sector, and uh, discussing um, specific um, questions and goals and also how to um, enhance the number of uh, women in the sector. Because I think that is uh, the perfect technology and maybe I'm the best or worst example because I studied economics. I'm not an engineer. But uh, to um, get into contact with technology aspects, um, that is so exciting to do this via this uh, very thrilling um, industry additive manufacturing that I'm absolutely convinced that we can pull more women into technology fields. And that is urgently necessary since uh, otherwise we skip half of uh, um, the population. And this is uh, not a good aim if you want to produce parts uh, for the whole population, because then you always skip um, one half of the perspective. And this is uh, why we started with this conference. And um, I think every initiative um, which helps to bring women into that sector is, is perfect, is great. So is there anything, any big lessons learned from all the initiatives you've done there? Is there a message that resonates or is there like just having a network or seeing someone that's walked the path before? Like what, what, what is, has, have you seen that really is impactful from all the, the events and, and groups that, that you've done and hosted? Um, so I think um, it's, it's, 
I mean, I'm really an enthusiast in additive manufacturing, and um, it's it's such a great idea just to get started. Materialize your ideas. Don't take care if you first have to do huge investments. Take some printing service bureaus and ask them to do it for you, and just get running. And when you're path, um, you will see the next goals automatically. And the field is so huge. And I'm always um, yeah, very impressed by this study of the Dutch ING Bank dating back some years. Um, but they said by the year 2040, 50% of all parts, everything worldwide will be printable. So 50% of everything will be printable. It's another question if we will do that. But I think it's it's so amazing. And if you go to different countries and speak to people like printed meat in Israel or parts for the aviation sector um, in the United States or printed insoles uh, for running shoes and uh, printed uh, implants in the medical sector, even bioprinting and the, the latest um, technology for printing mRNA vaccines against COVID that will be a printer. It will be a 3D printer. And this is so amazing that um, I think as soon as you get started, you will be addicted. Sure. And one of the things that you mentioned in, in that answer was kind of this idea that 50% of parts will be kind of created. And we were talking a little bit before we hit record about some of the sustainability kind of aspects of, of, of additive. So in kind of the work that you've seen in, in rail, I mean, I'm imagining for, for some of the maintenance applications, when you do have a broken down part, you can't probably just buy one, you have to buy a hundred, right? With additive, you might be able to just print one off, but what are you seeing in terms of at a global level or kind of national level in Germany with kind of the push for sustainability, carbon reduction, and that overlap with added manufacturing? I think the potential is huge. It's tremendous. And if you think about ecological sustainability, and I'm coming from rail, and rail considers itself as the most um, ecological friendly transport mode. So um, that is very crucial for the whole um, sector. And this is uh, why I think we have to start thinking about ecological sustainability and additive manufacturing too. My colleagues already asked me, how about the materials? How are they produced? How about the life cycle assessments of printed parts? And this is something the whole um, um, technology sector, like the machining producers, the material providers, have to start thinking about. And um, so one aspect is the decarbonization. Um, you don't have to transport um, parts over thousands of kilo kilometers anymore. You can just print them at the place where you really need them. But um, in my opinion, there's even another aspect which might be bigger. If you print parts in the moment you need them, printing on demand, that means you don't have to put so many things on stock. And if you don't have to put so many things in stock, and we often do this for years and years and years at Deutsche Bahn, for instance, uh, like 30, 40 years, you have to imagine. Um, if we can just um, print those parts in the moment we would need them, 
um, we don't have to put the money on stock too. So we get a lot of um, other opportunities in the financial aspect because uh, we can um, do totally different things, which uh, um, with the money we don't uh, have to put there in our warehouses anymore. And um, so this is also a very interesting aspect too, and also from the ecological sustainability perspective. Um, sometimes we put parts on stock we don't even need, and so we just throw them away. And that is not needed anymore in the future. Of course, there are some problems because uh, many uh, parts are components and therefore, of course, we need different technologies for all the parts of the component. But um, already today, we assume that 10% of our parts on stock could be printed. And we have to find path to really convince our colleagues to even do so. So with that, we've already talked about, okay, for... For some additive parts or for some replacement parts, the fact that you can get it quickly is a, is a benefit. It may be cheaper. You may have equivalent materials. Um, you, and also the sustainability conversation. How do you prioritize that message and kind of this, this change management theory, again, kind of going back to that? Because, I mean, if you take all these benefits and throw them at someone like in, in some ways it can be confusing. It's like, okay, like what, what, like, how do I get my bearings or like, what's your approach in saying like, okay, here are the two things that you need to know. This is why it should get over the, the hump. Is it, is it ultimately cost? Is it something else? Like what, it, what are the, the winning arguments to, to get a drive adoption and that you've seen? Yes, yeah, so I think the good news is there are so many arguments <laughs> and you can always pick the right ones to address certain groups. If I'm talking to our management, of course, they're very much interested in reducing costs yeah. and downtimes. If I'm talking to um, our users in rail, they're very much interested in the ecological sustainability aspect. So um, it always depends whom you're addressing. And... Um, but I think it's it's really also one of the big advantages that uh, you have so many good reasons to start printing. For sure. And one of the things as this podcast has kind of evolved, um, I get feedback from folks that are kind of joining, looking to join the additive manufacturing industry or learn more about it. And um, I always like to, to have our guests kind of tell tell folks like what's your average day look like so that someone that may not be familiar with manufacturing engineering kind of working with some of these groups like what does that look like if I'm in the space kind of from where you're sitting like in your career path like what's what's a day look like for for you so my day usually looks like um, what are the needs at the moment in our maintenance sites mm -hmm. Um, what uh, kind of technology would be suitable, then talking to um, people from the industry, um, what might be the perfect materials, which also already address um, our quality levels, um, talking to people or just uh, spreading the word. For instance, uh, just recently, we asked for um, companies who are already dealing with copper, printed copper, and we shouted it in our network. And within a couple of days, we had 18 companies pitching 
use cases, materials, technologies, um, all around the uh, copper uh, goal. And um, this is uh, really interesting. So there are so many people you can ask and everyone is so friendly in that um, industry. If you compare that to other industry, every industries, um, everyone really wants to share his or her experiences. And this is uh, what we can really rely on. And my day is a lot of fun because I can talk to so many different people and learn so many, uh, so much more about different technologies. Um, yeah, and at the end of the day, sometimes I even have such a nice podcast like today, which uh, is even more fun. Awesome. And so as we kind of wind down the conversation for today, what what are you excited about in terms of the rest of the year, rest of 2021 and, and kind of um, either challenges that you're excited about solving or industry-wide trends that, that you're seeing solutions to? Is there anything that really sticks out in terms of piquing your excitement for, for the rest of the year? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, first of all, we have to overcome that COVID thing um, so that we can meet again. And uh, my experience is that sometimes it helps to drink a beer together and think about the next um, use cases, the business development aspects and so on, and to create new ideas. Um, what um, I think is that um, also the machining producers took uh, the time during the pandemic and we're working really on the quality level of their machines. And this is really helpful for the users. And uh, coming to our network, um, what I really think uh, which will be interesting is um, we will launch a new group, uh, which will be called pharmaceuticals because the um, printing of pharmaceuticals will again open a huge field. So you can already, of course, print parts for the um, machines which are used to produce um, pharmaceuticals or medicines or pills. But if you start printing the pills itself, you can start totally new fields for gender-specific medication. And uh, that, again, will help um, also people in general and also the industry on the other side. For sure. Well... That's super exciting. And thank you so much for joining the show today and look forward to hopefully sharing a beer with you, maybe at Form Next or one of the other upcoming conferences this year. Sure, we will do. And I'm really looking forward to that. And yeah, maybe we'll also meet at our annual meeting in September in Berlin. And I'm really working on that, that we can do this in person. That'd be fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. That's great.